calling this back to our roots. In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Today, we are going to chat with Hunter Miska in our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina and our gear segment made possible by the Hockey Shop is the True Hazardous Stick. But why we're going back to our roots is Darren Millard in Vegas, David Hutchison on the island, and Kevin Woodley in his car. Welcome back to the car as things start to roll in our various lives a little bit more, and we will do anything to bring you a podcast episode. Right, Woody? Yeah, the only thing missing from that first episode is uh, Roberto Luongo sitting next to me in the car. Can you make that happen? I'm not sure we can pull that off right now. We're about as far as you can be away and still be on the content of uh, continent of North America. But uh, <laughs> you're right. I tell you what. I tell you what. Roberto doesn't do podcasts anymore. I've asked, but with the Hall of Fame induction coming, I might have to. I might have to pull a favor here and see if we can get Lou back on the podcast. You are right. You are a long way from uh, Lou. Uh, the only other place that's kind of further it would be where Jeremy Sweeman is from uh, up there in Alaska. But uh, across the continent, uh, it is perfect. But Hutchins, it, we, we got to get back. We got to do a three-way car. Like nobody in the same car, but we got we to gotta get out to our sleds and, and record something and find out wh- which vehicle has the best acoustics for a podcast. I'm, I'm guessing Woody's beautiful Audi. Yeah, I am too. I don't, I don't think my teeny little... Prius is going to pull it off, but I, it sounds I'm, like a lot of fun. Let's make hey, listen, it listen, I don't know about acoustics, but I got the massage seat going right now, so uh, I'm getting a massage while we speak. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, if Woody's battery runs out during this, uh, that's going to be one vote for the Prius and its battery and its uh, uh, ability to to function. Hey, uh, we're, we've got rookie camps underway, so that's outstanding. Uh, getting to see so many of the different prospects in and around the National Hockey League. Uh, some new gear uh, on different players is rolling out. We've got some masks that are are coming out. Uh, I was part of the NHL's North American Media Tour, which was held in Vegas this year. And that was uh, that was a lot of fun in the sense that I got to chat with a few goaltenders. Something came up with Andre Vasilevsky with a mask. Guys, he's not changing his mask design. Because he wants it to be like Brodeur's or Ed Belfour's or along Cujo's. He wants it to be iconic. He doesn't like people just switching up the artwork uh, randomly and having different presentations. He's going to go, maybe a slight tweaks, but he's going to go with the same design. I was going to say, I thought I just saw something uh, for him from, uh, from his painter that was a little bit different. So maybe a little hmm. tweak or two, but he told me he's going, he's going to be consistent for the end of time. Well, uh, at least this year and the last couple. I, hey, uh, I like I, it. I like the idea of iconic I do masks. Too. Yeah. I, I like the idea. Uh, like Hutch, the, the, it's sort of he, the way he phrased it was, I could look at the mask and I would know the goalie right away because of uh, that mask uh, who was who wearing it. And he's got a point there, uh, Hutch. Sure does. That's the way it used to be. I, I miss those days when we could look back and know who the goaltender was. Uh, Felix Potvin, another one on that list. I don't think you mentioned. Right. Uh, was an outstanding one. I feel like I saw somewhere, guys, but I've got the worst memory on the planet. Did he change the color of his cage this year, though? 
Mm, I, I think don't... I saw something about him going to a white cage, but, okay. but I could be wrong about that. And I'm the editor, so I'll just take it out if I find out I'm wrong. I think you're right. I think I saw that. I, again, I saw photos yeah. of his new mask and uh, somebody called that out. Maybe goalie gear nerd that pointed out the fact it looked like the color was changing. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of iconic masks, this would have been a hell of a segue to our feature interview, Darren. A little, We're a little early for it, but like... Hunter Miska, for those who may don't maybe don't recognize the name from his pro career so far, he's with the Colorado Avalanche last year. Uh, has played NHL games with the Colorado Avalanche. Easy for me to say, Colorado, Colorado <laughs> Avalanche. Um, You're like me. You make uh, you make uh, multi-syllable words into a fifteen-syllable words. I'm still speaking of segues. You sound like Cam in the gear segment this I'm, week. I'm struggling a little bit still. When you said we were going back to our roots, I thought you were going to make another tooth joke there, Darren. No, <laughs> but listen, back to our roots and Hutch's roots and Ingle Mag's roots with the with the uh, mask painting. Of course, Hunter Miska's dad is Todd Miska. You talk about iconic masks. He painted a few in the day. Remember Nabokov? Uh, I think of Kiprasov. Oh, yeah. There's so many other ones. He talks about his, about getting to meet Manny Fernandez and him being an imp- inspiration uh, growing in, uh, up in Minnesota. So I can't wait to get to that one. It's a mix of um, sort of where Hunter's at, where his career's gone, where he's at now, and, and what he's up to. But as well, sort of a guy who you know grew up not just around the game, but around some of the greats of the game through the relationships that his dad built as a painter. So I can't wait to get into that when we get into the feature interview. One of the first people I interviewed when we started in goal, I think this was the pre-Woody version, uh, was Todd Miska, who was really generous with his time. And I'm going to have to see if I can dig up the audio on that and maybe, uh, maybe get it reposted, guys. Um, one of the things about Iconic, guys, was that uh, there was a time you could have a pretty good idea who the painter was based on the style of the mask. Mm. So a little trivia question, maybe we won't answer it until next week. Uh, what's uh, what's special about every Miska mask, or pretty much every Miska mask, that um, lets you know that he's the painter? Can I and I don't mean signature right or something. Yeah, go for it. A uh, skull? No. Okay. There were a lot no, of no. there were a lot of skull and skeletons on those masks, but I think that was just oh, that yeah, was the sure, era. Right? The Kipper one was yeah Nabby. Nabby. Yeah, but no, something more just um, peculiar to the style. So can I guess not, again? Nothing of it. Yep. Uh, signature. Yeah, I said can't be signature. <laughs> okay, I, I, almost take it. I get one guess. I almost did a piece years ago just to show how every painter marked up his individual masks. Oh. Um, where the signature went, what it said, that sort of stuff. But never, never got through that. So Woody? I got one guess, and this is total top of the head, but I just seem to recall, so maybe it's not all of them, but like, did he outline sort of underneath the cat eye like the frame of the opening always was sort of outlined with a different color as opposed to just having the solid color from the edge of the frame to the back of the mask i'm i'm not i i know there were some areas that were outlined in white underneath where the cat eye is um but the one now that we've given it away that i was did looking i get for it is very similar very similar Ooh. the one i was looking for was that that the outer edge of just about every design is white and that was something he deliberately did because he knew that sometimes paint jobs got chipped. So if you just had white along the edge, it gave it an iconic look, but also protected against it changing the look of the paint job. So I gave it away, oh, but, cool and strategy. I didn't even get it right. Well, you were, but I think that might have been a piece to certainly many of his masks because I remember seeing it. I think it was a Kipper one. And you could see the sort of M from Miska overlying the paint job and the little white on the on the interior rim for sure, Woody. But I think it was fewer of those than the outside edge. But we'll have to do some digging. Hell of a guess by me. 
Hold on, hold on. Uh, Educated, educated. Hold on, hold on. Are you, judge, are you giving him that? Are you rounding up that guest? No, I'm giving him uh, part marks, though. I was always the generous teacher in school. Part marks for uh, showing some intelligent thought, showing the right process in his work. And I just, I remembered Uh, it. Like, that jumped out to me. And I think it was the Kipper one and the Nabby ones that jumped out to me on that Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. I look at it this way, Darren. It's like in Beer League. When you make like a hell of a glove save on the back door and there's a good chance your glove was in the net, but nobody can really tell because we don't have replays. I want the benefit of the doubt on that one. 99 out of 100. So I'm taking it from Hutch here. Okay. I I, I don't agree with you, but Hutch is the almighty Personal panelist. Credit. So, uh, he's the boss. He, he's the one that uh, decides things. Um, you guys are the first ones that ever told me or that I've heard from reporting Andre Vasilevsky as a child or or as a human being right now is a natural uh, right-handed catcher and learned the uh, skill of playing goal uh, as a left-handed catcher because his minor hockey team or community didn't have the proper handed gear. And so he's, he's a left-handed catcher now because uh, he just taught himself to do it. I have a- I think we have the, I think we have the audio from that. We do. Okay. Darren well, has fresh audio. I haven't. I do. I, I asked him about it. And uh, then we had another goaltender come through. And uh, Dan Rosen from NHL.com pointed this out to this next goaltender. And this next goaltender said, this next goaltender said, me too. Come on. You know, there's, it happened to be the very next guy, Darcy Kemper. Wow. Did not know Bought that. Himself. So. Saskatoon or Saskatchewan. I'm not sure if it's Saskatoon or more remote it's area. It's Saskatoon. Yeah. Okay, so Saskatoon or remote sort of Siberian edge of Russia, and neither one of them could get a right catching glove as kids. Yeah, so he taught himself how to, how to Kemper did the same thing. What do they Incredible. both have in common? Last two Stanley Cup winners. There's a lesson, folks. If True. your kid wants to catch yeah. with his right hand, force him to switch. Oh, you know what I'm doing? I'm buying a set of right-handed catching gear tomorrow. And I'm going to start playing as a southpaw. I'm going the uh, the other way with that. You want to know what the totally. sad part is? I could probably do that myself, and nobody would tell the difference. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when it came to handling the puck. Uh, uh, the, that that's the the case with all of us. But that goes into our gear segment, brought to you by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, this week, uh, Woody, you're dealing with some twigs. Yeah, before we get to the twigs and. This one ain't on sale, folks, so that's a big part of the segment here. Wait till you hear the sticker on this, baby. It's incredibly light, and you're paying for it, but there are a lot of other gear, uh, including sticks, on sale right now. The Back to Hockey sale continues at the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. 20 to 50% off a number of items, uh, a lot of like entire lines, past lines. If you're still looking, you don't need the the latest gear. You know, you can do without the Bauer Mach because you like the ultrasonic. Uh, chances are you can still find a lot of items in the, the, those old, older, earlier models on sale, anywhere from 20 to 50% off. So make sure you check them out at the hockey shop, Source for Sports, in person, out in Surrey, certain to be moving out to the Langley area. Uh, for those of you who are listening locally, probably looking at that move coming late October, early November. Um, but for those of you who aren't on the lower mainland, it's online anyways. Check them out at thehockeyshop.com. Make sure you cam and his entire crew. Uh, it's not just about the sales. It's not just about having the latest, like the new true hazardous stick we're about to talk about. 
Uh, it's about having the expertise to guide you into the right equipment for your age, for your size, for your style, for your skill level. These guys have the answers to any questions you might have to make sure you walk out of there with the right equipment for your game. Check them out at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports in Surrey, or thehockeyshop.com. Now it's time to check out the stick. We go downstairs at the Hockey Shop in Source for Sports, Surrey. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv. Behind us, we have the True 12.2 line from overseas that we talked about last week. Still lots of this in store, so make sure you come check that out or check it out online. But also, new sticks from True. Continuing on the theme of True, the new Hazardous line. I have the X, and he has the 7X. Two price points. First thing that jumps out on me for me, Cam, with the PX, this sucker, in addition to being kind of purdy, is light. 575, 575 grams. It's a light stick. It's also a bit of a short stick. Probably accounts for some of that weight savings, much like Bauer did with the Hyperlite. They've sort of cut it down, you know, that carry price preference for the shorter shaft. So two inches off the shaft. Two inches off the shaft. Um, you know what? Having not had a chance to actually get it out on the ice, I see things like VSS. What is a VSS, Cam? You need to tell, walk me through. It's light, it's short, it's purdy. How does it play? How does it feel? What are some of the features on this new stick from True? The VSS is vibration shock system. Did it get vibration shock system? Good, good job. It's it. Vibration shock. Si- yeah. <laughs> Before I say something that I got to bleep out. Um, long story short. I'll show a picture of the inside. Two ribs connect with the center dowel in the middle of the stick, helping to absorb that vibration by basically centering that vibration throughout the middle of the stick. So you're not having that outer shock that happens when you get that slap shot off the stick. Makes it want to kind of like bust out of your hands. It's now kind of absorbing it into the center of the stick. So overall feel-wise, you're getting that super, super lightweight stick, but we're not worried about having to like chuck it out of your hand off of that hard slap shot, especially impacts on the paddle, impact on the shaft. The geometry of the actual stick itself is very, very similar to your uh, older um, uh, A-series sticks um, from uh, True as well. So um, in terms of general feel-wise, again, if you liked, uh, like those sticks, this should be an easy transition for you. Um, only availability is an MC2 curve. So MC2 is what for those of us who speak other brands? Basically a P31 or a P31 is a, <laughs> the exact same as a P4. We've got a video out that explains all these things, folks. Make sure you check that out on the, uh, go back in the YouTube archives on our channel. And there's a video that explains the different numbers. P31, if we were going back to the old days of, you know, the Price or Crawford, which one is that? Oh, excellent. Good job. So midpoint, not a heel curve. Which one is that? Correct. No, we're talking about midpoint, not a heel. This is not a heel. Ben knows his stuff. This is why we come to the hockey shop. No matter what the companies call it, he knows how it equates. Now, we've talked about curve and only the one available in this. What about flex point in terms of how this, like, is this a flexible stick through the shaft? Where where, does, where, do, where do we feel this? Is it in the shaft? Is it in the paddle? Where does this baby flex? So we're talking about more of a low kick to the paddle. As we can see, actually, Kevin getting some bend down into the stick. Um, again, they're, they're optimizing it with a stiff blade as well. So you're getting that good control feel um really to get that pop you know especially that 
defenseman's coming, or not defenseman, Ford would be coming in. You got to get quickly kind of off the boards or around them. That's where you're going to get that quick pop to be able to get that puck sent. It's nicely balanced. It's a nicely balanced stick. Okay, that's the PX. That's the higher end stick. And I got to say, folks, at the higher end price point, so don't want anybody to go to thehockeyshop.com and end up painting in front of the computer. This beauty is pretty as it is. It's $439 at retail up here in Canada. So not a cheap stick. No, but there's a lot of technology that went into it. There is one that's a one price point down. The 7X still has the VSS in it, but 100 grams more in terms of the weight. I'm not seeing the carbon fiber texture, a little more paint on the surface. Nope. What are some of the other differences, Kent? I, geez, here, got my staff shirt. You did it. Yep, that's it right there. Covered so it. It's heavier. Yes, correct. It's heavier. We don't have that same carbon fiber lay throughout the stick. Still similar flux profile, though, so you're still going to get that same similar. Little stiffer by looks of it? Uh, I'd say it's about the same, actually, between the two. Still the short shaft cards, and we are 25 to 26, so obviously there is a bit of a height difference there. Um, I, I will say, folks, it's 100 grams more. It's like 100 in quick math, 60 less. There you go. So when we talk second price point, it truly is a second price point stick, the 7X, for those that maybe don't want to go all the way up to the PX Whoa. and the Pro. I didn't get Cut. you. That was an accident. Uh, the grip is interesting. Um, Touch the grip. say the texture grip is... Maybe a little less than some other brands, and and, I, and I'm not saying that is a bad thing. Uh, there are other brands where the the tackiness on that grip can almost become problematic. Like I'm definitely putting tape over top of it to sort of because it, it can kind of get stuck in your blogger hand right. a little bit. This feels like a, a nice. I would say like strategic between the two. Strategically less sticky. Easy for me to say. Been a tough week. Cow now, brown cow. All right. So wrapping it up here. Want to check the stick out. Visit us at www.thehockeyshop.com and give me and or any of the staff a call. 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. And they'll be able to tell you how this compares to some of the other options they have. A ton of sticks here in stock right now, including a bunch of old models that are on sale as part of the Back to Hockey sale. It's that time of year here at the Hockey Shop. Make sure you check them out either in person here in the Lower Mainland or online at thehockeyshop.com. It's called Hazardous. I'm not sure who it's hazardous to. Maybe shooter, I guess. It is spelt a little janky, just keep that in mind. Hazardous is how goalies would spell, as goalies kind of don't tend to spell keywords properly. It's it's true. Get it? It's true. We're going to leave that one alone. Smash the like button. Amazing that it's that light. Were you... Were you using the stick, Woody, to poke him during that conversation? Because you you had him rattled at times. I you know Cam kind of spooks easy a little bit there, you know. So I think maybe just the fact that I was holding a four hundred and thirty nine dollar stick, given my klutziness, he was worried I was going to like drop it, scuff it, break <laughs> it, something like that. Um, it's a pretty stick, boys. Like it's a pretty stick, and it is notably light at 475 grams. We talked about the technology and the handle. Haven't had a chance to sort of take pucks off it or feel it. I'd be curious to see what it's like. Uh, if anybody's out there, it's got any feedback. Remember, you can watch the gear segment on your YouTube channels, on IGTV. Hit us up in the comments. Let you know what. Let us know if the feel uh, that they're trying to achieve has really been achieved with this stick. I know in some of the earlier True models, um, now there's kind of they were heavier. 
Um, and and a little just they just sort of lack some of the feel from some of the brands that have been in the industry a little longer when it comes to making sticks. You know, the Bowers and the CCMs. But that said, like True and True Temper, like this is one of the leading companies when it comes to golf shafts and golf shaft technology. So you knew it was only a matter of time before they figure it out. They've clearly taken some strides here. And if you can get past the sticker shock, it sounds like uh, some strides in a real positive direction. Certainly weight is notable. Uh, we talked about the shorter uh, shaft. I'm not sure how much that contributes to the weight. Obviously, you're cutting a little weight when you're cutting off the top of the shaft. I know you know, I know. being in meetings at CCM, that was one of the things they talked about. They left the shaft longer on the rack so that if goalies actually want to cut it down, they can. But for goalies that want a longer shaft, it's there for them. But of course, that adds weight. You know, when you're talking about off the rack weight, that adds some weight. So um, listen, it's an incredibly light stick. It's a really pretty looking stick. Um, and if you've got any feedback on it, because we haven't been able to take it on the ice, let us know how you like the feel. I'd be curious how much more you can shoot the puck, like get on that that puck and zip it around, Hutch. Just with uh, change the change in weight? Yeah. Does it add to it? Is, I, is that, isn't it is more, that a real... Isn't it more flex than weight to me on, on shooting the puck? I, flex I and feel? would be... I, but I can't shoot the puck, so I'll have to ask somebody who knows how to shoot the puck. I, I can't see the weight. I, for me, it would actually be where it flexes and how much it flexes that would make the biggest difference. And and uh, being so weak, I can't quite get the leverage on one of the shorter sticks, but to each his own. It's just, I can't get around that weight, though, that overall weight. It wouldn't even feel like you're you're holding anything. No. Well, I'm going to have to no. check here. I'm going to have to check, and maybe we'll have to edit this back in. But like, as, as excited as we are, because it's an incredibly light stick at 575 grams, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the new mock stick comes in at a similar number. Uh, mm-hmm. 600. Yeah, 600. So there you just go. checked so tw- it on the Bauer yeah, website. There you go. So 25 grams. Yeah, and then five ninety five on the Hyperlite, which is their, um, which is their shorter shafted stick. So there you go. So wow. you're looking. You so you're looking. Basically, this is the lightest stick on the market. Yeah, and and if that's the stick that makes you shoot the puck better or get across and make a stick save, uh, it, it's definitely worth it. Uh, but uh, I we gotta be. I say this all the time. You gotta be approaching the uh, the maximum amount that you can sacrifice. To, to to actually make a twig and put it in your hand, but are you are you talking about are you talking about weight or how light my wallet's going to be after I buy it? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I put it on credit. You're fine. Uh, no, but I know why Cam would be hesitant to uh, to make you handle it. That's like for for retailers. Um, I I just don't know how much you can stock a, a, a bunch of those things. Well, hey. I'd be cringing just watching Woody in the video testing the flex and the stick because what happens if it just breaks on him? Yeah. I think Cam was probably cringing there. I don't blame him uh, with that. Uh, hey, we have listen. Our feature... It's a warm-up stick for me, that one. No, that's your game stick. You use the more ex- the cheaper one you use for the warm-up, no? Not until I get used to it. I got to dial it in a little bit here. <clears throat> oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I need to get you an appointment with somebody if that's the case. We got we to gotta talk this through on a, on a couch. I'm a big roller. Right. I can I can buy the big sticks for my warm up stick. <laughs> oh, big roller. I, big I fancy. Roller. Uh, that's outstanding. Hey, um, I thought it was uh, really telling. Uh, I mentioned that media tour that the likes of Jeremy Swayman hasn't been in the league very long. He was the Boston Bruins representative uh, at this, which is huge. Uh, where his career 
uh, is and and is going, what they they think of him. So uh, that's outstanding. Jake Ottinger, Dallas Stars, same thing, uh, uh, outstanding. You you put out that great video. Hutch, do you run the social or or does Woody? Uh, the what were these guys talking about? Like that was a great uh, post. That one was a collaborative effort, but the creativity there and uh, and the caption with it was absolutely all Woody and great that everybody's hopped on with their their own responses, including a few Woody digs, which mm-hmm. I appreciated. I actually asked them both because of that post, what are you guys talking about during that? And it was dinner. They, they were talking about going for dinner. So... Uh, yeah, really? yeah that, that's exactly what it was. Uh, time to get to our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Uh, this is a, a great conversation with Hunter Miska, but first a uh, note about Sensorina Hutch. Our friends at Sensorina did so well with the uh, recent promotion that they had, sort of a back to hockey promotion for Sensorina, that they've extended it for another couple of weeks. So you've got uh, probably... One last chance here to hop in. If you're interested in trying Sensorina and you've heard all about it on the show here over and over again, just one of the greatest off-ice training tools that you could have, uh, hop over there now and you can get it for just about half price. If you purchase the annual subscription, use the magic code IGM50, you can grab Sensorina for just about half off now and add it to your toolkit to become a better goaltender pretty much right away. Okay, what's that promo code? So I? I-G-M, like in goal I mag, 50. 50. Yeah, and you'll be getting just about 50% off, and you can just hop in there and do all that fantastic Sensorina training that we know junior and pro goaltenders are using to become better, and if you're looking to make that next team, if you're looking to just have a whole lot more fun with your game as well, Encourage you to check out Sensorina and give it a try. I'm being able to do it uh, at any time that uh, that works for you, and don't have to get dressed. You don't have to drive to the rink. You don't have to uh, get all suited up. It's all right there at your fingertips or right in front of your eyes through IGM50, the promo code, and Sensorina Sensorina VR. Time to our, our feature interview. Here is Kevin Woodley with Hunter Miska. Really excited to welcome to the Ingle Radio podcast. Somebody I've been trying to catch up with for a little bit. Uh, Pass couldn't quite cross in the American League last year, despite uh, I was hoping to do it. But Hunter Miska, really happy to have you on the show. We catch up to you now from Germany, where you're playing for the Straubing Tigers. Um, but I wanted to sort of start by going back to your roots in the game, because they are fascinating. So before we get to Champions League, congratulations on a massive win over the SHL champion Faryastad on the weekend and all the things that are going on in your life right now. Why don't you tell me how you got started in goal and where that passion comes from? Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So I started off playing goalie my uh, freshman year of high school, a little non-traditional compared to most goalies, but, uh, obviously a lot of people know my dad's painted goalie helmets for a long time. And, um, one of the biggest influences on my career was Josh Harding. Um, when my dad was painting his mask when he was with Minnesota, uh, that was about the time that I was wanting to change uh, from player to goalie. And uh, I heard his story that he was uh, in the same situation as me, 
playing forward, but his dad didn't let him uh, play goalie, but his mom wanted him to. Where mine, my dad wanted me to play, but my mom didn't want me to play. So freshman year high school uh, in the summer, we had, we were doing STT and coach was going through the room and seeing who our, our goalies were. And I just decided right there that I raised my hand and decided I was going to play goalie and, and uh, ended up making starting varsity my first year playing goalie in Minnesota. And then uh, a couple of years after that, I got invited to the U.S. National Team Development Program and, and kind of started my career from there. That's like, that is a huge fast rise, like from freshman year to U.S. National Development Team in just a couple of seasons. Um, now, how did, how did it get initiated? Like, what made you want to be a goalie? Like you said, I, I want to get a little bit into the, you know, with your dad, you were, you were around it, right? Like, like Josh obviously inspires you. Was there anything else about the position? Cause I mean, how much were you surrounded by it with your dad's uh, painting? Obviously, guys like, you know, I think of some of the legends he painted for, some of the most iconic masks in the game, like Kiprasov and Nabokov with the skeletons, like just some just some truly great artwork. Uh, so the game was around you from the goaltending side. How did, you know, Josh plays a role. Was it always sitting in the back of your head that you wanted to be a goalie or did it just kind of come late? Yeah, I ended up, uh, when I was a scorer, um, growing up, we didn't have a, a goalie, so me and another kid uh, ended, ended up rotating every three games throughout the whole year, and that was kind of my first chance to play goalie, and I absolutely loved it, and I did a really good job with it, but my mom always thought I was a better player than I was a goalie, and that's why she never let change the position, And uh, but ever since, like I've always been a huge fan of goaltending, being around my dad, hearing all these goalie stories. I always thought the gear and the mask were the coolest things ever. I just have a passion for the position. Uh, in school, I was always playing goalie when we were doing uh, goalie in gym class or hockey in gym class. Uh, anytime I was getting a chance to play knee hockey or on the outdoor rink, uh, trying to play goalie as much as I could, and I just fell in love with it. Do you think it benefited you to switch late? This is a conversation we've had with a lot of guys. Uh, some of them, you know, I think of Braden Holtby where he wanted to be a goalie, but his dad was like, that's fine, but you're also playing out till you're 13. I think it might have even been 14 for him. The skating, the learning to read the game from seeing it from the other side uh, rather than always being in net. Do you feel like that helped? Because like you said, once you got in net full time, you took off in a hurry. Yeah, I think that played a big part in my game was obviously uh, being a goalie you got to be one of the best skaters on your team and being able to learn how to use your edges on the inside the outside edges and obviously uh, knowing how guys are going to be shooting on goalies and whatnot so I got to experience that as a player and then bringing that to being a goalie I think that's helped me come a long way with my career especially the skating ability no, the one thing, it's one thing to be inspired by Josh Harding. It's another thing to probably have access to him. Like, did you build a relationship there? Like, were there conversations going on on, hey, what's this like to switch and start so late? Because uh, Josh is a guy, actually, that I haven't talked to him in years, but one of my favorites when he was coming up and just a, like, just a great person and a great guy to talk to about the position as well. Yes. So when, when my dad would uh, finish his helmets for the year, he always would usually come over to our house or we'd meet him downtown St. Paul at a restaurant to deliver his mask. And usually we uh, were able to sit down and chat with him for a while. And he always like told me his story and, and that obviously inspired me. And uh, I remember high school uh, in, in 10th, 9th or 10th grade, I think you have to write an essay to obviously graduate. And I wrote my essay on Josh Hardy and what an inspiration he was to me. So uh, he played a big part in my career and, and wanting to, to play goalie and just gave me the passion that and the drive to be able to do it. 
Okay, so there's the desire part, wanting to play where the passion comes from, to because obviously to reach the levels you've reached, playing all the way up to the NHL, um, you have to have that. What about the technical side? Um, growing up in Minnesota, once you make that switch, uh, where did you, you know, coaching influences, people that uh, helped you once you made that decision sort of rise up the ranks so quickly? Yeah, so my first couple of years of goalie, my freshman and sophomore year, I actually didn't have a goalie coach. Um, and then I found Matt Millar. Um, he was with GDI at the time and then mere goaltending. And uh, he kind of found me out of the woodwork. And then uh, I started working with him a little bit. And then once I went to the program, we obviously did stuff in the summertime. And then we ended up meeting back up in, in Dubuque in the USHL, which was awesome. So it, he, was, he was the guy that found me. And that was my first goalie coach that I got to work with. And he's, he knows my game really well. And I, I miss working with him because now he's with LA and moving, moved out to California. But, uh, and then Elliot Hogue is another guy too that was with GDI. That uh, that I currently train with now. Oh man, I feel like worlds are colliding here. Like like Matt managed to uh, get to be on the ice with him at a camp in Kelowna and have a good relationship there since he's moved on with the Kings and Billy Ranford. GDI Goaltending Development Institute. I got my start writing about the position through Ian Clark, and obviously that was sort of his company back in the day. It's like like mushroom clouds going off over my head as you bring up all these names, small world stuff in the world of goaltending. Um, so you're telling me you didn't start till freshman year of high school and you didn't have a goalie coach for the first couple of years and you end up at the U.S. National Development Team. Like, that's a pretty fast rise and, and a pretty quick ascension. Um, how much do you think, like, like in a, in, a, in a world, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, a world where there is so much goalie coaching at such a young age, um, do you think it benefited you to be sort of, by the, I'm guessing playing a lot on instinct or were you a guy that was studying other goalies and looking to add technical elements just on your own? How did you, you know, how did you sort of bridge that gap between getting instruction and picking things up so quickly? I was actually watching a lot of goalies and the biggest thing for me when I learned the T push after my first year playing goalie in high school, um, I was at the state tournament and I was watching Tim Shaughnessy with uh, Hill Murray and he's obviously uh, a GDI guy. And, uh, I saw him T push and he was so crisp with it. So I went out on my pond, uh, that night with my brother and started learning how to T push. So that was the first experience I, I learned how to do it. And then, uh, I watch a lot of NHL goalies and like Manny Fernandez was a big inspiration to me as well. Um, when my dad was painting his helmet when he was in Minnesota, um, just, I always watch these guys and what they do. And I try to acclimate that game and, and that kind of helped me, uh, get through my first first few years of playing without a goalie coach well and Manny's a guy who reinvented himself at one stage in his career sort of spent you know he's a guy that played a lot on instinct early in Minnesota years and then I think he spent the summer with Frankie Allaire and you could see like some of the technical elements get added so that's a time when a lot of goalies were sort of like I said maybe it's the wrong phrase but just playing a lot more on instinct rather than having the game so structured for them yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing to be able to do that and, and just keeping your options open with goalie coaches too, working with mul- multiple guys and not just a, cer- a certain guy. So like in the summertime, I work with Dave Rogalski and Elliot Hogue. So I got two different two different uh, inputs on my game. Another name that we know really well in Rogie. So uh, they just keep adding up here. I wanted to ask you a little bit too, because obviously from the national development team, a couple of years in Penticton, uh, USHL and then into pro with Arizona and then Colorado. 
uh, all the way up to playing and winning your first game with the Avalanche against your old team in Arizona. Like, uh, all the different voices over the years. Like, how has your game evolved? Obviously, the position has evolved significantly over that time. But how have you found that balance with all these different voices at different stops, guys like Rogie in the summer? Um, how would you describe Hunter Miska's game right now and that evolution that's taken place? I think from from the start till now, I'm a lot more patient with my game. Before, I was a lot like the old Jonathan Quick flying around in the splits all the time, just being super a- acrobatic. I, I didn't lose that part of my game, but I only try to do it in cert- certain situations when when the game gets a little more scrambly. But I've been trying to simplify my game, staying on my feet more, um, reading the plays better, and not just relying on athletic saves all the time, just simplifying and uh, making the game easy and saving energy. As you get up into pro ranks, is that part of the balance too? Try mm-hmm. as you, especially as you get into the pro ranks and guys that you know working with new voices and guys that can impact whether you start or not. How do you approach a new relationship with a new goalie coach? You, you, I'm guessing you have one, not knowing what the situation is on a team by team basis in the DEL. But since you've gotten over there, you probably got yet another new voice. Um, how do you approach that between? you know, your foundation and what you know works for you and trying to embrace new things. There's probably a lot of kids going through it right now, you know, new teams, uh, sometimes new leagues as they move up the ranks. Hey, this guy's telling me to do this. You know, how do I approach it? Yeah, I, I think just being open to what the goalie coach is like. I think having a conversation with them right when you get to, uh, to meet them uh, it goes a long way. Um, I feel like having a relationship with your goalie coach is one of the biggest things. They're, they're on your side. They're your coach. Obviously, uh, they help you a lot, and I think that uh, my relationship with my goalie coaches over the years, I've, I've been really close with them, and they know my game extremely well because of the communication I have with them, and uh, I'm always looking to learn, and I'm not, I'm a very coachable player, so I'm always looking to try new things, and nothing's, uh, I'm not going to tell somebody no for uh, trying something new. Do you have to do you have to be careful too sometimes though not to you know like you said you 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 over the years and you've been at this for a while now you probably build in what you think is your foundation do you have to be careful sometimes you can find guys that will chase change for the sake of change as opposed to sticking with what you know what that foundation is what that what their sort of anchors are in their game is it a bit of a balance that way Yeah I think so I I think you got to know your game really well and I, I feel like I know my game well but I'm always looking to improve it the game's changing and in your game always has to be changing with the game as well so the players are extremely good now but they're starting to figure out goalies that are going in the reverse VH extremely early you see a lot of goals in the NHL guys getting beat over their shoulder because they're going in the RVH before the play is even coming at them I I think holding your feet uh, it's something I've changed in my game is just staying up and being big I'm not the biggest goalie um, look more on the small side. So I just think there's always room for change and uh, you just got to be open with it. Some of the guys that you've worked with at the NHL level, I'm guessing you would have had touches on Corey Schwab uh, when you were with Arizona. And obviously, you know, I mean, you're you're over in Europe now and I want to get to that as well. But uh, some time with UC Parkilla, who um, becomes the first finished the first European goalie coach to win a Stanley Cup with the Avs last year. What were some of your experiences? Anything you took away from either guy in particular that, you know, you still sort of have as, as an anchor or a foundation in your game or little tips here and there that you might be able to share from those guys that have benefited you? Yeah, obviously with Corey Schwab, I, I got to work with him a little bit uh, at the start of the season. Then he got moved up to the to the Coyotes. So, um, But he was an unbelievable guy. 
still talk to him here and there. And, and something I learned from him was just being more patient uh, with my game and, and just staying on my feet more, not wasting energy, dropping on every single shot. Um, that's something that, that we worked on in Arizona. And then uh, similar stuff with UC, just being super patient and uh, being on our feet, beating the plays, beating the passes on our feet and not trying to slide around everywhere. Um, and then we also work on our, on our hop step a lot uh, with UC, as you can see with Grubauer's game and, and Frank Cruz's game, when the pucks are playing from side to side, we're using that quick hop step. So that's something that I've uh, added to my game and it's been working. Okay, two threads I want to pull on there. First one is I, I got to get to the hop step um, and some of the principles and mechanics behind it because it's not something we see commonly. Uh, but I got to ask a little bit about patience because everybody says it. Everybody says be more patient. Are there, like, does it have to become a mindset? Is it just something you start building through practice in terms of more a mental thing? Or are there are there tips or physical things you can do to try and sort of manifest patience as a goaltender? Because we all want it. Every kid wants it. It's like, you know, even even down when you get the bad goalie coaches in minor hockey that just say stand stay on your feet, right? How how do we achieve patience as goaltenders? How what kind of things have helped you sort of get more patient over the years? I think for me and just my personal experience, just practice habits and taking every practice as if it's a game. And I use that to my advantage. And I think just trying to hold my feet as long as I can before, like when the guys are releasing the puck. I, I know early on in my career when I was when Johnny Elkin, we were always talking about me dropping before the guys shooting the puck, where now I'm dropping as the puck's getting shot at me. So I think that's a huge thing with, with being patient. These shooters are so good, they can put the puck wherever they want nowadays. So we want to be the one reacting to them, them not reacting to us making the first play. So just sort of holding through the release a little longer and not, not sort of committing down as your sort of principal movement prematurely. Yeah, exactly. But it obviously comes with practice. It, it doesn't just come overnight. And right. uh, I've been working very hard at it the last couple of years. I, obviously, I'm still working on it, but I think uh, my game's gotten a lot better with, with that part of it uh, over the past couple of years. It does sound like it's more of a mindset thing. And, and like you said, something that, that you have to bring into practice, and I, I would guess, until it becomes innate. So you're just seeing pucks better, seeing pucks longer through a release and reacting later. Yep, exactly. Have you done a lot of, like a lot of guys talk about, uh, I mean, there are phrases that get attached to it, things like box control and things like that. But that understanding of how much space you take up in the net and that, you know, like in terms of, trying to manufacture that patience, understanding that you don't need to move too early, that, that it's, it's about holding and, and that there isn't a lot of space there if you get to your spots and, and, and are set and square. Yeah. I, I think it's crazy when you, when you watch video of yourself and you just focus on that aspect of getting there on your feet and seeing what kind of angle you have, you don't always have to, to be there on your knees and stuff. Like if you get there on your feet, you can beat that play and, and see how much stuff you take up in the net there's really not that many open spots it's amazing too like it sounds like patience on your skates i think of the off the release and i've talked a lot about off the release but it sounds like movement too like um reading between the lines here i'm guessing you used to slide a lot more than you than or you used to more than you do now you're beating plays up is that is that also a mindset thing do we do we sometimes like i think i get a new set of pads or something that we're testing and i see kids a lot of the time like we fall in love with sliding right like they slide so good and we can move around so good in our knees but it seems like as much as that improves every year and these kids can fly around the ice 
it's the game at the highest level seems more about doing less of it. Yeah, I, I think it's the less part is saving energy is the biggest thing. That's what I talked about earlier is I think avoiding the slides and just trying to beat it on your feet. You're saving that energy, it's your body going down, plus the wear and tear on your hips as well. I, I just, that's something I've been focusing on and just trying to base my game off of just holding, holding my ground. Okay, so talk to me now about the hop step. Where does that come into? I mean, we're talking about beating plays on your feet and beating them upright on your skates. Like rather than a T push, rather than a shuffle, the hop step's kind of like a, kind of like I guess an aggressive shuffle on a bigger lateral move. Um, walk me through the evolution of learning that and how it fits into your game and what situations you like it for. Yeah, I, I feel like I've kind of have done it my whole career because the first. A couple of years when I played goalie, I didn't know what a key push was, so I always right. had to hop threes. So that's something that I've always used in my game, but I never focused on it as much as I did when I was working with UC. Um, certain plays, like pucks getting past laterally from top of circles over, I think uh, is something that we worked on a lot. And then obviously when the pucks at the point going D to D or D to a player on top of circles, I'm, I'm using that as much as I can. I like my feet square in the shooter at all times. I feel like when I'm opening up in a T push, I'm rotating my shoulders a little bit where if I can keep my both my feet straight at all times, I'm squaring that guy and I feel like I'm in more of an athletic stance uh, being in the hop step because I'm not up too straight and I'm not too low. I'm in a comfortable stance where my knees are a little bent where I can react at, at whatever happens. And as you said, if you're keeping your skates sort of square to the guy, like the one thing about a T-push is there's an open and a closed portion of it with the lead skate. So if that puck hits something or you've got to go back the other way, um, you've got to close that angle on that skate before you can reverse directions. I'm guessing with a hop step because you keep, much like a shuffle, because you're keeping your, your skates sort of square to the play, it's a little easier to go change directions a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think it's... I think it's a good play for up, up high. I think it's a little more difficult when the puck's getting lower just because when you're bringing your head up a little bit, it kind of throws you off the play a little bit and tight. But um, I, I think it's a very smart uh, goalie play, and I think UC's been using it to, to the advantage for the Colorado goalies, and it's been working extremely well. Any guys give him the uh, give him the stink eye when he first introduced it? For you, it was, well, we don't want to name names, but for you, you said it was natural because, like you said, not knowing the T-pushes early. But I'm guessing there's a lot of guys that would see that for the first time and be like, what the heck are we doing here? Yeah, I, I think some guys may maybe, but seeing Francis do it and Gruby, obviously they see the good in it, and uh, I still see them do it in their game. And Gruby's obviously not working with UC uh, anymore, obviously with, with being in Seattle, but he still uses it. To his game as well. Okay, transition to pro. Um, it's one of the biggest jumps we've heard uh, for you. Is um, you know from University of Minnesota Duluth straight up into the American League. I've talked to goalies. It doesn't matter where they come from. I always hear that that's the toughest jump. First year pro and transitioning to pro. What was it like for you? What were some of the biggest adjustments? And then on a year by year basis, because you had immediate success, was it? Uh, you know, what was that transition like? What was that evolution like? Yeah, it was it was different. Obviously, going from college to pro, you're playing with older, more mature guys. Um, it, a lot of the guys are uh, playing the game for a long time, and uh, it's fast. And then, like I said before, guys being able to shoot wherever they want, right? Uh, and, and that's the part of me being uh, more patient in my game. Um, and then another thing is the net front and guys 
having the hand acclimation to be able to tip pucks. It, that was something I really noticed the pro level compared to college. But uh, obviously, the game's changing at both levels. They're always getting better. So um, I, I think college was a really good preparation for me. Um, uh, before I turned pro, just getting all that the reps and uh, the action from that league uh, really prepared me. Uh, and and then start start with with Tucson. Um, you got into a game with Arizona, but didn't get a start. And then you go to Colorado, uh, and you get an opportunity in, in a couple seasons ago, 2021, uh, with the Avs, and you get your first win, and it's against the Arizona Coyotes. Does it mean any more, or does it? I mean, at that point, you're just you're just it's you're you're in the NHL. It doesn't matter that it comes against your old team. What do you remember about that day? About those moments? About that first win? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Obviously, uh, I was hoping to get it sooner. It would have been nice to get it in Minnesota, my hometown, against the against the Wild. But uh, getting it against the Coyotes was a pretty good, uh, pretty good feeling. Um, the the whole day was unreal. Just being back in in uh, Arizona, seeing everybody that that I played with and, and the coaching staff and seeing Corey Schwab on the bench too was pretty awesome. Uh, but uh, it was a surreal feeling to getting my first win in the NHL. It's obviously something you dream of uh, as a kid. And obviously when I was a kid, I didn't know if I was going to be playing goalie or forward, but um, it was, it was unreal. I, I can't even describe how, uh, how good of a feeling it was. So, okay. So was the dream, is it like, did you envision stopping pucks or was your first NHL dream scoring goals? I guess it would have been scoring goals. Hey, I don't know. I've always wanted to play goalie when I was young. My, obviously, like I said before, my mom never let me play goalie, but my dream was always to play goalie. Um, I didn't know if I was ever going to be in the NHL or what, but once I started playing the position, I, I knew I had an opportunity to, to play at a high level. I didn't know if I was ever going to get to the NHL, but uh, I feel like my passion and the work ethic I have got me to got me to that spot. It's it's uh, and it, it's a league that um, you know it's it's tough to stay in. So you you've been in the American League a little bit back and forth, had some success in the American Hockey League, and then after this year, you decide to come over to Germany. Well, talk walk me through that step. Um, there's only so many chairs. Uh, that game of musical chairs can be can be tough at times. The decision to head over to Germany and 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 Straubing and the opportunity that you've got there. I mean, big stage with the Champions League game this weekend, playing against you know one of the top teams in the SHL, like. What's it been like? What's the transition been like? What was the thought process there? Yeah, it's been awesome so far. Uh, for me, coming over was not an easy decision. Obviously, um, I wanted to stay over and, and try to keep pursuing an NHL career. But um, like you said before, there's not a lot of job openings there. And, and I felt like this opportunity over here was, was wide open for me to come over. And I knew they had a great team here. And, and I want to play a lot of games and prove that I can still play at an elite level. And uh, I just, the, the opportunity was great. So I made the decision to come over here and uh, take both feet and come over and, and make the most out of it. And uh, so far, it's been unbelievable experience. We have a great group of guys, great coaching staff. Everybody's been super welcoming here. And we have a, a lot of North Americans on this team. So it feels very homey for me. And uh, yeah, the Champions League is super cool experience, being able to play other countries, being able to travel, uh, to other countries and see the different game styles. Uh, the biggest transition was obviously playing on the Olympic sheet of ice compared to the NHL size. So I had to work on my angles the first few weeks of uh, being over here, but I feel like I've adjusted well so far. I'm really looking forward to regular season starting here this weekend. 
Was it was it tough at times, like just in terms of sort of finding your net, maybe losing your net at times, just on that bigger ice? Or and we talk about patience. That's the one thing that I've talked to guys that go over there is like, um, it can be a great place to emphasize that patience that's required at the NHL level. Like in terms of going over and coming back, there are things in the game there as a goaltender specifically um, that you have to really cultivate patience, uh, not committing early on East West plays. Cause it's such a pass first. I'm not sure about the DEL, but a lot of leagues over there, a lot of, a lot of pass first style of hockey. Um, do you, do you look at that? Like, Hey, like these are things in my game that whether I'm playing here and having success or hoping to get back are going to translate. Yeah. Especially, uh, yeah, the, the passing plays and being on your feet as much as you can. Uh, it's a bigger ice sheet. So obviously these guys are trying to use that to their advantage. So it's a lot more movement for us as goaltenders trying to get to our spots. Um, but I feel like I've adjusted well, maybe playing a little bit deeper at times so I can get to my spot for a longer play. But, um, but yeah, it's been a, a crazy tra- transition just with the ice, uh, trying to figure it out. But, um, I feel like it's, uh, it's been good so far. Okay. I want to wrap this up with, by going back to where we started, we talked a little bit about, uh, your dad and, and the exposure you had to NHL goaltenders. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of his work and his, and his, uh, the mass he used to paint, um, gear, where's gear fit in all this for you? You talked about being a fan of it and loving the gear growing up. Like are where are you at with the gear right now? It's changed over the years. Um, the designs now, and, and did I read that you do paint your own mask as well as part of this? Like you, you've started painting as well. I, I have painted my own mask when I was in juniors. Uh, okay. I don't think I really have the patience for it. Okay. <laughs> well, um, pa- as long as the patience is on the ice, you're good. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's fun. It's not something I'd like to do uh, as a career like my dad, but right. it, it, it's it's a fun thing and a fun project to do. And obviously, every year being able to de- design my mask with my dad is one of the coolest things. Uh, not a lot of guys can say they do. Uh, and then obviously, the goalie gear is pretty special to me too. I love designing gear and always getting the new sets. Always the best time of the year. So. Pretty pretty crazy with the the new Bauer Digi print on what you can what you can put on your gear and how you can design stuff nowadays. It's uh, awesome. Well, you've had some epic sets that way. Like, do you do you still enjoy that part of it? Like, once you turn pro, right? Like, we still geek out a little bit on on my side of things as an old old man beer leaguer. The kids love it. It's part of the passion for a lot of guys that they fall in love with the position. But you know, like, do you still get the the sort of kid on Christmas Day when you get some of those epic sets you've had over the years with the custom designs on them? Oh yeah, I'm always a kid with my gear. I I love uh, designing everything. I'm I'm an artsy person. I always take it from my dad. But uh, my favorite time of the year is designing my pads and my setup for the season. I always uh, try to try to add some stuff in with the cities and uh, like obviously this year uh, with Straubing. I don't know. I didn't know much about this place coming in, but I added the the skyline in my gear and on my mask. Uh, so just trying to get a little touch of the city in there. And then uh, the Bavarian flag is another thing I added added in. So it's nice to nice to show the fans you appreciate where you're at. Uh, I think I think they appreciate the good, having a good style with the, with the goalie. Well, I got to ask from a Bauer perspective, like, like, do you have a favorite set over the past couple of years that you've designed? Because like you said, you've had some beauties and just on the ice too, like... Uh... You know, we talk about how far it's come. I mean, what we can do design-wise, what they can do design-wise is insane. But the performance of the gear, too. Like, when you started, you know, rebounds weren't rocketing off the boards and out of the zone, right? Like, it's really changed a lot. 
Yeah, I I love the gear. It, it, the nice part is it, it's coming game ready, so I can wear it like the minute I get it. I can wear it at a game that night, which is nice. So, uh, but but the rebounds on them are unbelievable, especially getting them out of the out of the box. You can wear them; they feel like they're broken in, but they still have that nice pop to them. The Bauer pads and and the gloves are just unbelievable. The, I love the rebound control and how hard the pucks come off. Uh, for my my own game, I like the hard rebounds. Some other guys like soft rebounds, but you can obviously uh, adjust that with your with your rep and when you're customizing your gear. And what I, I gotta ask is, uh, you know, everything's sort of skin different. What can you tell us? What you're in now? What kind of like everybody's geeking out on gear? We might as well go all the way. What what are you in a mock right now? Or did you stick with a hyperlight? Are you a little blend of both? That's the one thing about pro. You guys get to tinker a little bit. Um, honestly, I have no idea what I'm in. I think I'm wearing a uh, ultrasonic goalie pad. Yep, yep. So a little, and, sti- little steeper, stiffer boot. Yeah, and then uh, obviously the block or the glove. I have a unique glove. I've worn that Von Kipper spec glove my whole career, and then uh, when I switched to Bauer, I wanted something similar. So we uh, took Lundqvist gloves and adjusted that a little bit to to make it feel like what I like. And still, uh, still a two piece cuff, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, still a two piece. And then, yeah, I've loved it ever since I've gotten it. I've, I've loved it so far. And then the blocker, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but I like it. I'll definitely, I'll, I'll have a look. We, uh, I fall behind a little bit, but I'll just go on the internet and someone will tell me exactly what model blocker it is. I'll know exactly what year and what generation. And that's been the, that's kind of been the beauty though. Like as Bowers evolved the line, there's become more options. Some guys, you know, they find one they stick with. Some guys, they always want to try the latest new thing. Some guys, it's a blend. Like, for all the evolution of their equipment, you more and more, you guys at the pro level especially, and, and people that order the full custom pro, um, have those options, right? Like, it's not just that, like that first Odin pad. You got that and that was it. There's been a really nice evolution there. I like it. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're very fortunate to be able to have that, uh, that option. Okay, and last one. You said you design masks with your dad still. What's that? What's that like to get to do that as a kid who used to grow up and watch some of these iconic masks come through his shop and, and, and I'm guessing probably you mentioned meeting Josh. I'm guessing you probably got to meet a few other guys along the way growing up. Um, what's that like to get to, to, to sit down and go through that process with your dad? Cause I know, I don't think he's painting masks generally over more, but anymore, but he is for you. Yeah, I know it's, it's obviously uh, very special for me and my dad. It's something that we both obviously love. Um, He's not doing it full time anymore. Um, ever since he had his cancer, when I was in uh, in college, he ca- he kind of got away from from painting just for health reasons and and just staying away from the fumes. But um, he still does mine, luckily. And uh, it, it's just a time that we both really appreciate uh, every year getting the the opportunity to sit down and and design. Uh, just it's super cool feeling, and uh, I wouldn't take it for granted. And recovery is going well as well. Like you mentioned the cancer, everything's, everything's, he's passed it. Everything's going really well right now. I understand. Yep. Everything's all good. He's cancer free and uh, hopefully it stays that way. Uh, well, we wish him well. Like I said, I know there is, there's an entire generation of goalies out there that um, will remember the mass I'm mentioning, you know, very fondly, like Hall of Fame worthy, iconic stuff. I miss those days when, when the masks, you knew who it was from the guy you, you'd see it from the stands and you knew exactly who it was and who painted it you know just based on that that was sort of i like you said iconic right guys that had the same look and stuck with it i love those days yeah those are great i, I love to see him uh, get back into it hopefully uh, maybe someday down the road he'll uh he'll do some more 
Uh, we'd all love to see that. And uh, we'd love to see you back here. But while you're over there, continued success, Hunter. Really uh, appreciate you joining us. Um, and like I said, uh, congratulations on a big wig, big win to open the Champions League season. I know you've got the regular season coming up. Um, just uh, all the best over in Germany. And uh, whether it's here or over there, we, we wish you all the best. And thank you for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on here. Outstanding. I've been following him for a while now. Uh, Woody, uh, what's your takeaway from that visit? Um, you know, it, it, interestingly enough, and uh, this is not going to sound great. Um, my takeaway was like it was a good conversation that he carried because I did not have my A game in that interview. Uh, and then we started talking after, and the best stuff might have been after. So lesson to Kevin, just I, I just it was it was me. I sometimes we as interviews have our B game. I thought Hunter really carried the interview by bringing me back to certain things. Um, but when we just started talking about who he skates with in the summer and what he's been working on, like a lot of guys that I know that we know here at Ingle, including you know you saw him at the media tour. You know, talk about young stars in the league, Darren, Jake Ottinger, Charlie Lindgren, who's been on the podcast with us before, Dave Rogalski, the goalie coach now for the New Jersey Devils. These are all connections that Hunter has and people he skates with in Minnesota. And we started talking about some of the changes to their game. And so those are some of the things that he's working on. Um, we talked about it with Lindgren, about narrowing up his stance, playing a little more shuffles rather than big T pushes. And again, Hunter, same thing, maybe getting locked in a little bit early, low and wide, and that creating a tendency to slide on plays rather than beat him on his skate. So a lot of the elements as we sort of see the game evolve at the National Hockey League level, these are things that hunt, and we've seen guys like Charlie Lindgren, you know, like Spencer Martin, guys that are sort of in around the similar age to Hunter or, you know, similar pro experience, making these adjustments and taking off in their career. And so really good conversations about those elements that I wish I'd known to pick up on while we were still recording and maybe a great excuse to run it back when we get a chance to catch up with Hunter next time, uh, hopefully back on this side of the pond because he sees this as a step. Um, he sees a lot of the elements of the game over in Europe maybe being helpful for him in terms of taking that step movement-wise and some of the patterns that you need to succeed, uh, some of the the tactics and tendencies you need to succeed in the National Hockey League level. And he really believes he can get back here. And just uh, just one of those guys that, when much like the other names we mentioned there, when you talk to him, that, that passion for the position, um, once you sort of just start chit-chatting a little more casually, uh, and and the desire to sort of embrace new things and new ideas really, really came through. So, um, you know, curious to follow him. He got up to a great start in the Champions League, which is a really big stage over there. Uh, hoping he has a great season over in the DEL, and we'll see where it takes him. But uh, a conversation I look forward to following up on in the future. As much as I went into it thinking about the history and his dad and some of the cool gear that he's had over the years, um, some of the best conversations, like I said, some of it my fault aren't part of this interview were when we dug into the nuts and bolts of his game and the style and how he hopes to evolve it through all the work with those people in the offseason. I'm curious, uh, Hutch, you're around goalie coaches so much uh, through your association with your son and uh, and all the training. Every offseason, are goaltenders making moderate changes to their game, uh, minor tweaks to their game, or major uh, changes to their game? It It feels like it's closer to major than than minor tweaks the way that the game's changing all the much uh, i don't know i guess that's sort of a 
a sort of a personal opinion as to what's major and what's minor. I, I think mostly I see evolutionary changes in guys. Mm. Not so much. I mean, listen to some of the interviews that we've had on here with uh, some of the guys who played maybe in the 90s, the early 2000s, talking about picking up some brand new stuff. Uh, the guys who'd never done RVH before, for example, and having to add that into their game. Um, those are pretty major changes that I don't think I see guys making. But but you definitely you see guys making these evolutionary changes, and, and the ones that Woody mentioned there, um, especially the narrow stance, seems to be one that's really coming uh, more frequently. I consider that a moderate to major change, like guys, Do you? guys doing, okay. going, yeah. doing something like that. But I, I may be over-evaluating. I think it depends who you are. And, and I think it's an interesting, um, an interesting point about evalu evaluating prospects and just off the top of my head here, guys, but, um, having worked with lots of goaltenders, uh, over the years and in the summers, every coach listening to this will know what I mean when they say there's, there's some kids who can take a suggestion, can take a, a change in their game and can implement it almost right away. Uh, worked with goaltenders who can take what you're calling now a fairly major change and see it in a game two or three days later. Whereas you have some guys who feel that they've reached a level or they're just entrenched or this is the way I play my game. And, uh, and that low locked in stance, for example, is never going to change with some of those guys. And maybe they're very accomplished at the level that they're at. Uh, it would be good if somebody trying to evaluate prospects could see what's happening behind the scenes and how quickly they can make changes because it's very clear that if you can't evolve your game, you're not going to last in the game for very long. Woody? That's why if I'm a GM, as much as they're going to come take away my uh, goalie union card, the one thing I avoid is term. When I'm looking at these guys and, and making contract, because I just, unless you know you've got a guy who's willing to evolve, because the game does change to the point where things that work, things that won Stanley Cups five years ago, styles, tendencies, don't even work anymore. Like he can't play and succeed playing that way. And if you're not willing to change, then you could be stuck with a goalie who's behind the times. And so some of that sometimes can be, you know, physical limitations. Sometimes it can be mental limitations in terms of like Hutch said, not wanting to make changes because, hey, this worked for me. Sometimes you have to get knocked down a peg before they're willing to do that. So I, I agree. I think for some guys, these are easy, quick changes. Um, sometimes, sometimes, Sometimes it's all just about having the right voice at the right time present it in a way that all of a sudden clicks. Like sometimes you've been introduced to the same idea a couple of years ago and maybe either you weren't ready to embrace it fully, you didn't see the reason why in terms of the game changing, or it just wasn't presented in a way that resonated with you. So there's so many factors that can go into why something clicks all of a sudden, you know, you know, for a guy like Spencer Martin, for a guy like Charlie Lindgren, two guys going from different organizations to different coaches, but two totally different coaches and experiencing somewhat similar changes in style, in terms of stance and tactics that provided a breakthrough for them. So um, I think it all comes back to you can't paint them all with the same brush. It's just every goalie is going to be different depending on what stage you get them, that willingness to embrace change. And who knows? We could be talking about going back to wider, lower, wider stances if the game changes yet again at the NHL level. And to me, that's you know the overriding theme to me is if you're not evolving, you're probably falling behind. And that's not just in terms of the position changing because we get 
better, more efficient, quicker. That's in terms of the position changing because it has to based on what's being presented to us by those who actually control the game. And that's the forwards and the attacking, you know, the attacking players and the defensemen. We don't even get a say in what we have to defend. We have to react to it. And sometimes that alone is enough for changes, not just the evolution of the position, but what's coming at us forces us to make changes. And for all those reasons, and that's a lot, um, man, I want guys that are willing to embrace those things, guys that aren't stuck in, you know, whether it's physical or mental limitations, stuck where they are for very long, uh, because chances are it will pass them by pretty quick at some point. Well, the game changing, and it looked like it had changed enough to really pass Jonathan Quick. And then he came back last year and had a really strong year and was their goaltender in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know how much he tweaked his game along the way, but it, it did look like it was going past and then came back. It's interesting that you bring him up because I was going to make a related point. I think you want, it's, it's another reason that you want to have an athlete in the position. Mm, yeah. And, and we talked before about playing multiple sports. Maybe you need to, maybe you don't, but you definitely need to be an athlete. And we all know those, uh, those kids who, whatever sport they play, they pick up the club, they pick up the baseball bat, they, they start playing football and they just happen to have a talent at pretty much all of them because they are so athletic and I'm sure in many cases that's developed through through play and so forth as youngsters. But I think an athlete is going to be able to adapt. And and I think if we'd had a, a question, who are the most athletic goaltenders in the National Hockey League, Darren, people would have brought up Jonathan Quick yeah. as a really good example. So maybe that's a reason he's able to to adapt his game and adapt how he plays. And maybe that's a reason that uh, younger kids might want to think about developing athleticism if they want to become great athletes. I'm disappointed nobody's ever really started teaching the lift their leg a foot, two feet off the ice and stop at the uh, short side. They, uh, I guarantee somebody is. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, like yes. Jonathan Quick does every now and then. I I'm guarantee like, it. That's one of the most amazing saves that he does on purpose continually. Just like every little hockey practice that happens, you see kids trying the Michigan or the Zegris or whatever. I guarantee you've got goaltenders trying the behind-the-back Vasilevsky. You've got the Scorpion save. It's all happening all the time, and that means there's some really enthusiastic coach out there teaching it too. And we might mock a coach for teaching it, but there's a whole lot of importance that I would place on having fun when you're out there. So if that coach is teaching those kids to have fun and practice, good on them. I talked to Zeke, Chris. How about desperation? Sorry, Darren, to cut you off, but like that's the other thing too. Yeah, like no. like we, we focus so much on the technical, like the amount of times that I watch Ian Clark, who's considered you know to be one of the true you know, technical, you know, the guys who's who's moved the game forward technically, you know, as much as anyone, if not more than anyone, uh, you know, at the highest level, like the amount of time they spend working on, on like the art and science of desperation saves would probably astonish some people. And he puts his goaltenders in compromised position. And it's not just about, yeah, there's some tips and there's some key elements to give yourself the best chance. But within that, there's also, you know, encouraging creativity and the ability to go outside the box and, and find unique saves in unique moments that he considers a separating skill. So, um, you know, whether we practice it at whatever level, there's nothing wrong with that. My good friend, John Shannon, always said, make sure you rehearse your ad libs. That's exactly what, uh, <laughs> what you're doing on, on that front. Uh, on the subject of Trevor Zegers, did talk to him because there's a rumor going around that he's working on something new. 
beyond the Michigan. Now he was he was coy, he was guarded, he was deflecting it, but uh, he said he's done a couple of things this summer. He's not sure he's going to work it into a game as more summer skate stuff. The the talk of the town though is that he scoops the puck up on the rush and carries it, and then swings it or swoops the puck at the net or slings the puck at the net. It'd be a forward lacrosse goal. Yeah, exactly like Fair. that. Uh, and that's the stuff that's uh, that's going around town. Oh, right please, now. please, and, God, and please, God, no, exactly do it. <laughs> please, God, no, <laughs> please, because you can't. Goaltending stuff it, is hard it enough. Blocks man. up the release, like like sensor. We're gonna have I to know. call the boys at Sensorino right away here and get them on it. We need this in the game. We need <laughs> waist high releases so we can learn how to read this. Yeah, I don't know whether we'll see it or not, but I'm just giving giving everybody a heads up that that was. Uh, there is some scuttlebutt about it. And I went to the source. He denied it, but I have a funny feeling that there's a little more to it than, than what they were letting on. Well, I think if, 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 if he's going to break it out for the first time in a game, I want it to be the all-star game and some poor celebrity goalie bugger in that, not the NHL guys. <laughs> I vote for you, <laughs> Down Darren. there in Miami. Um, also some news about the all-star game. I won't get into it now, but uh, it does involve alligators. And you know that remember the shootout uh, or the puck uh, accuracy passing thing at the Bellagio Fountains last year in Vegas, where they were skipping pucks in mm-hmm. the fountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. they may do one involving pucks and alligators, real alligators. If you can get one to catch a puck, you win. I don't know, but uh, yeah. uh, I don't want to get anywhere near. Careful, that. I'm I telling can, you, man. The alligator you. makes enough save, and some GM's going to want to sign him and give him a vote for the Vesna. <laughs> Uh, Woody, uh, time to go home. Okay. Yes. Uh, are you actually going to go home or are you going to roll the seats back and have, no, I've actually got another, uh, my daughter's volleyball tournament continues with the game at 7 PM. So I will be packing this up out of the car and heading back into UBC's war Memorial gym to, uh, watch her play once again. Okay. Leave my uh, tickets at will call. Yes. They're there for you. Your tickets for both you guys. Uh, thanks to Hunter. Uh, thanks thanks to Cam. Uh, thanks to. Hutch, as well, for being our ultimate decider, the panel uh, at the start, and uh, being our, our beacon, our guiding light uh, through this whole thing. Uh, thanks to you, the listener, as well. Rookie camps are underway. When we talk to you next week, main camps will be here. Talk to you then on In Goal Radio, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>